Welcome to our series, Living Lessons. It's a study of characters in the Bible. If you recall, in our last lesson, we looked at the first couple, Adam and Eve. And we looked at it from, there are many lessons, of course, about Adam and Eve, but we looked at it from the point of view of God's design for marriage and what, uh, what sin can do in our marriages. And I hope that that strengthened you, that discussion. In this lesson, I want to talk about another couple, it turns out, but I want to take again a little different perspective and look at one of the lessons uh, that's a little less known. If you have your Bibles, you can turn to the book of 1 Samuel. 1 Samuel in the Old Testament will be starting in chapter 1, and I want to introduce you to a couple, Elkanah and Hannah. You may know Hannah from the Old Testament as Samuel's mother, and you may remember her story. But I want to turn the prism just a little bit, and I want to talk basically about how can we help our spouses or our friends. This isn't a unique discussion to marriage by any means. In times of disappointment or discouragement, those inevitable times in life when our dreams or in our hopes, our disappointments can turn into peace, and it's a story of how that process can happen and how we can help each other with it. Let me jump into the story today. This story has a few players. They have, first of all, what I call the triangle of marriage, and that is husband, wife, and God. And that is indeed, as you'll see in this story, that is the three cords that bind this marriage. There is the adversary, and in this story there are two adversaries. One is circumstance, cir disappointing circumstances. The other is a rival, someone who's an antagonist in the story. So let me read 1 Samuel 1, the first 20 verses, and then I'd like uh, to, to uh, look into this marriage and look into this disappointment, and let's see what lessons we can learn from it. 1 Samuel chapter 1, There was a certain man from Ramathame, a Zophite from the hill country of Ephraim. His name was Elkanah, son of Jeroham, son of Elihu, son of Tohu, etc., through the genealogy. He had two wives. One was named Hannah, the other was named Penina. Penina had children, but Hannah had none. Year after year, this man went up from his town to worship and sacrifice to the Lord Almighty at Shiloh. Now, if you remember your history, this is happening about 1000 BC. This is right before Samuel's born, of course. So it's right before the first King Saul and then King David and the temple being built under Solomon. So there's no temple in Jerusalem at this time. So they're going to Shiloh, where the, uh, uh, to sacrifice, to worship. So they go to Shiloh, where Hophni and Phinehas, the two sons of Eli, were priests of the Lord. Now whenever the day came for Elkanah to sacrifice, he would give portions of the meat to his wife Penina and to all her sons and daughters. But to Hannah he gave a double portion, because he loved her, and the Lord had closed her womb. And because the Lord had closed her womb, her rival kept provoking her in order to irritate her. This went on year after year. Whenever Hannah went up to the house of the Lord, her rival Penina provoked her until she wept and would not eat. Elkanah, her husband, would say to her, Hannah, why are you weeping? Why don't you eat? Why are you downhearted? Don't I mean more to you than ten sons? Once when they had finished eating and drinking in Shiloh, Hannah stood up. Now Eli the priest was sitting on a chair by the doorpost of the Lord's temple. In bitterness of soul, Hannah wept much and prayed to the Lord. And she made a vow saying, O Lord Almighty, if you will only look upon your servant's misery and remember me and not forget your servant, but give her a son, then I will give him to the Lord for all the days of his life 
and no razor will ever be used on his head. As she kept on praying to the Lord, Eli observed her mouth. Hannah was praying in her heart, and her lips were moving, but her voice was not heard. Eli thought she was drunk and said to her, How long will you keep on getting drunk? Get rid of your wine. Not so, my Lord, Hannah replied. I am a woman who is deeply troubled. I have not been drinking wine or beer. I was pouring out my soul to the Lord. Do not take your servant for a wicked woman. I have been praying here out of my great anguish and grief. Eli answered, Go in peace, and may the God of Israel grant you what you have asked of him. She said, May your servant find favor in your eyes. Then she went her way and ate something, and her face was no longer downcast. Early the next morning they arose and worshipped before the Lord and then went back to their home. Elkanah lay with Hannah his wife, and the Lord remembered her. So in the course of time Hannah conceived, gave birth to a son. She named him Samuel, saying, Because I asked the Lord for him. Well, it's a powerful story, one you may be familiar with. On the surface, it's a story, and it's powerful on the surface. It's a story of her prayer to God, God answering her prayer. But I'd like to turn the prism just a little bit and look at this marriage. And let's look at these circumstances. And the first thing I would say is that we're all going to deal with disappointment. No matter what our dreams, our hopes are, circumstances are such that Everything will not always work out the way we want, whether they're trials or simply goals we haven't met or something else, we will deal with disappointment. And in this case, you see a particularly poignant and, and difficult disappointment in the life of Hannah. But as you look at the marriage, I think it looks pretty solid in the sense that they're both committed to each other, they're committed to God. They, uh, it's clear from the text that Elkanah loves his wife, Penina. Uh, it's clear he's trying to help her. In fact, I have a question for you. In verse 8, you notice that Elkanah is trying to encourage Hannah. And he says, Hannah, don't weep. Uh, go ahead and eat. Why are you downhearted? Don't I mean more to you than ten sons? Now, show of hands, how many of you think that was helpful? Not many, uh, I understand. As a guy, I want to tell you, I've done this before. And the intention, I know, is I want to help you what he's saying, I, I think, is I love you and I don't care about this other thing. I don't care about this disappointment. I don't care that you don't have children in this case. I love you anyway. And he's trying to be very encouraging to her. Well, how does she take it? The ladies are saying, no, it's, it's not very helpful. And you know, the truth of that is, and this is a truth that I, I really want us to understand, is that we cannot fulfill each other's dreams but we can support each other's dreams. We cannot fulfill each other's dreams. Now, don't misunderstand me. There's a sense in which our friendships are blessings to us. Our spouses are indeed a fulfillment of a dream. We have three sons and we pray for their future wives. In other words, we understand that's a blessing from the Lord. But to expect another person, whether it's a, an intimate friend, a parent, a brother, sister, but certainly a spouse, to be able to Fulfill all my dreams and happiness and make me happy. You are my knight in shining armor, and I expect to live happily ever after in the castle like the fairy tales. Is frankly too big a burden to put on any human being. Guys, when you look at your wife and you think, wow, you are a blessing from the Lord, and that's true, and you are going to meet all my needs and make me completely happy. And that's not true, is it? In fact, there is no human being that can do that. And so the truth of this is, is that we will have disappointments in life. And like Elkanah, there are times when we can't make it better 
Oh, we men like to try to make it better, and that's what he was trying to do. But the truth is sometimes we need to realize, I can't fulfill all your dreams, and I, I wish I could make it better. I love you so much, I want to make it better, but I can't necessarily do that. But we can support each other's dreams. And once we realize that, it takes a great burden off of our marriage, is that we don't have those unrealistic expectations of one another. Well, one of the things I'll want you to discuss in a few minutes is given that that reality is the case, how then can we support each other? How have you been supported in the past? Let's share with each other some ways. If Elkanah's uh, kind-hearted attempt is not a good way to support it, what are some good ways to support each other when we hit those times of disappointment? But there's a second half to this story that I'd like to point out to you. There's a second part that I think is just unbelievably uh, interesting to me, and that is, as you finish reading chapter one, you realize that she did indeed have a son, and after the appropriate time of weaning him, she took him to Eli at the temple and said, as I promised the Lord, here's my son. I'm giving him to the Lord. And then as you read on, she goes to see him every year, but he's basically dedicated to serving the Lord. He becomes a prophet, as you know, and priest. But as you read on, you realize Hannah, even though she has given up her son, so to speak, you know, doesn't stay and live with her all the time, she's a woman at peace from this time on. And you know what really impresses me is that this isn't just the story of asking God for something that you want and God graciously saying yes, that God always says yes to our desires, but he graciously said yes. But you know what really is powerful to me? Is she gave it back. She received what she asked from the Lord and she gave it back. And you talk about a faith. That just gives an insight into her character, into her faith. And you see that same thing in the New Testament. I'll remind you of an interesting uh, quote in the New Testament. You're probably familiar with this, but you'll, you'll see the same idea. It's the Apostle Paul. It's in 2 Corinthians chapter 12. You may remember, he says in verse 7, uh, to keep me from becoming conceited because of these great revelations, there was given me a thorn in my flesh, a messenger of Satan to torment me. Now, no one is certain what this is, but the clear idea is, is that something happened to keep him from fulfilling his ministry. Uh, most commentators think it's some kind of physical ailment. Perhaps he's losing his eyesight. Perhaps because of obviously the beatings and the difficult life Paul had, he's crippled. He, something is wrong with him. And he's going to pray to God and say, God, you're using me in powerful ways. I'm preaching. I'm doing what you want. So take this away from me so that I can be even more effective. And he says, three times I pleaded with the Lord to take it away from me. But God said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. And Paul says, therefore, I will boast about my weaknesses so that Christ's power may rest on me. That is why, for Christ's sake, I delight in weaknesses and insults and hardships and persecution and difficulties. For when I am weak, then I am strong. Paul is a man of faith who says, I asked the Lord and he said no. And so I give my problems to the Lord and say, you will be glorified then in my weakness. Hannah is a woman who asks of God and God says yes. 
And she takes that and said, and you are still enough for me, and gives it back to God. I just think it's a powerful story. And here's the lesson that I'd like to, uh, for us to understand, and this is a hard lesson when we're dealing with the disappointments of life, but it's one that jumps out at us from the pages of Scripture, is that disappointment in life can be turned into deep realizations of God's sufficiency. Our disappointments will turn into deep and abiding realizations of God's sufficiency. It is not possible to really deeply understand that God is enough for us when we have everything that we want. I'm not saying that disappointments are pleasant. I'm not saying that uh, you know, God is glibly giving us disappointments. I'm simply saying disappointments are a reality. The reality is, is that we cannot uh, fix that for each other, but we can go through it together. Remember that sense of usness in a marriage? We go through that together because on the other side, as you saw with Paul, as you see with Hannah, is just a deep and abiding understanding that God really is sufficient for us. And to close out this lesson before you go into a time of discussion, I want to read to you 1 Samuel chapter 2. So after Hannah prays to God, you see her torment, her disappointment, her difficulty. God answers it. She gives it back. She goes on to be a woman. Honestly, a, a, she's a woman at peace. I want you to hear her prayer in chapter 2, verses 1 through 10. And the reason I want to read this to you is just listen as I read this. This is a woman who's been through bitter disappointment, gotten what she's asked for, realized God's sufficiency. And in the times, I hope that like the Psalms, that in the times that you go through disappointment, you may come back to 1 Samuel 2 and just listen to the song of Hannah. Here's what she says. My heart rejoices in the Lord. In the Lord my horn or my strength is lifted high. My mouth boasts over my enemies, my adversaries, for I delight in your deliverance. There is no one holy like the Lord. There is no one beside you. There is no rock like our God. Do not keep talking so proudly or let your mouth speak such arrogance, for the Lord is a God who knows, and by him deeds are weighed. The bows of the warriors are broken, and those who stumbled are armed with strength. Those who were full hire themselves out for food, but those who were hungry hunger no more. She who was barren has borne seven children, but she who has had many sons pines away. The Lord brings death and makes alive. He brings down to the grave and raises up. The Lord sends poverty and wealth. He humbles and he exalts. You get the sense of God's sufficiency here? He raises the poor from the dust. He lifts the needy from the ash heap. He seats them with the princes and has them inherit a throne of honor. Let me just stop there, but I would urge you to just read the rest of this song in those times of disappointment, that you can remember this story and realize that out of this situation, God will work his sufficiency in us. Well, let's take a time to take a look at this. I want to look at it from the lens of marriage. What do you think about this marriage? And then how do we transfer that? When we go through our difficult times, how can we support one another? How can we get to the place where we use the inevitable difficulties of life to bring about in us the peace that comes from knowing the sufficiency of God?